Okay. Um, good afternoon, everybody. So it wasn't recorded, so I'll just say that we're going to dedicate today's shir as a Yoma Zikaron, Nishmat, all of the soldiers and Kochota Bitachon and all the terror victims that died Al Kiddush Hashem, the man Ha'am Ba'aretz. Um, as an introduction on that, just a very brief idea. Uh, Rav Gustman, who was a, um, a dayan in Vilna, together with Rav Chaim Weiser, uh, pre the Holocaust, pre World War II, um, he survived the war, uh, but he lost, uh, he lost his family and he came to Yerushalayim. And he went to Menachem, one of the uh, one of the families. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was the professor uh, who won the Nobel Prize. I can't remember his name. Professor Unterman, I think his name is, or, or something like that. Um, who lost his son, uh, who was a soldier, and he went to uh, he went to console uh, the professor, and he said to him the following statements. He said that uh, my family and your son and all the people who died Al-Kiddush Hashem have a special place in Shamayim. They have a special minion um, for, for those people. And he said, but your son is the Shaliyah Tzibur. Um, meaning there's a special, uh, special place for everyone who is Moser Nefesh, uh, who does al kiddush Hashem, but a person who who willingly puts his, his life in danger uh, to protect others, um, that is even a higher level. And I saw what is this based on? It's based on a the Piyatzetz Nareba. Piyatzetz Nareba, the Eish Kodesh, explains that when a person is Moser Nefesh for not to do an Avera, Yarek Vali Avor, so the level that he reaches is when he gets to Shamaim, it's as if he was prepared to die for the sake of the king. The person who is prepared says, but a person who is prepared to die to save Am Israel, that is a higher level because when he gets to Shamaim, the king says, it's one thing that my servant was prepared to die for me, for the king, but he's even prepared to die for my family, for my children. That is something that uh, the king respects even more so. So having said that, Ezrat Hashem will dedicate our learning, Lilui Nishmatam, of all the Kudoshim. Let us continue in the middle of the Halachot of uh, Tefillah. Um, and we on page 151 for those who have the Sefer. And we're in the middle of the Shir of how to perform the Shmona Israel. How do we daven? Our Amida. So one of the dinim is, should we say the words out loud or not? So the Gemara in Masechet Brachot Lamed Aleph says as follows. Yachol yashmiya kolo bitfilato. One might think that one should project one's voice when one is davening the Shmona Yisrael. Kvar mefurash al yedei chana. However, it is already explicit through the prayer of chana. Shneemar, it says, in the prophet in Shmuel Bet, the kola, sorry, not Shmuel Bet, Shmuel Aleph, the kola lo yishama. So what does that mean? We saw that Chana, who is the 
the uh, what you, the, the para, you know the paradigm from which we learn many many halachot of tefillah that the pasuk says she didn't she her voice was not heard. From here we see that one is not allowed to project one's voice loudly. Uh, says the Gemara, what, what is a, a person who does so in the Gemara, a different Gemara, Gemara in Brachot, Chavdalet says, one who projects one's voice out loudly, this is a person of a small, little faith, because it says, can't hear him, so he has to scream. And also, this is how the false prophets used to call out to their gods. And therefore, this is not the Jewish way of uh, uh, reading the or, or davening the Amidah, the Shemona Yisrael, um, out loud. Now, the question is, uh, there might be an exception to the rule. And the Gemara says as follows, Amar lo shanu when we say don't project your voice, that's when a person can have converse, uh, uh, correct intention. But if a person needs to project his voice because it will help him concentrate, then it is permitted with one caveat. This is if you're diving alone, you're diving in a room by yourself. But if you're davening in a community, you, you might not be transgressing the problem of acting with little faith, but you're disturbing other people. So to summarize, projecting one's voice in general is not allowed. It shows a, a, a lack of faith. However, if one needs it in order to focus one's attention, one's got ADD like myself, maybe it will help. Okay, however, that's on condition. You're not disturbing people. If you're going to disturb people, then you cannot uh, do that either. Now, this is all about projecting one's voice, meaning this is davening loud. What about davening that not, not loudly, but just that you yourself can hear your own words? Is that a requirement? Is that preferred? Or is that also that not... Um, the way to daven. So let's see a Tosefta. The Tosefta says, I'm adding the word because it's a, it's a question of the girsa. But at least the girsa of the Beit Yosef was, I might think that I should even let my ears hear it. Meaning everyone agrees, don't project your voice, but should I be speaking in a whisper that my own ears can hear the, me formulating the words? Comes along with Tosefta, Piresh Bechana Shunemar Bechanahi Medaberet Aliba. It sounds like from Chana that she didn't, um, uh, um, she didn't even, she wasn't even able to hear her own words. So that seems to be the opinion of the Tosefta. However, the Yerushalmi seems to be saying the opposite. The Yerushalmi in Brachot Bet Halachadalet says, a person who prayed and did not pronounce the words that his ears, his own ears could hear it, he has fulfilled his obligation. The language over here is meaning if you didn't do it, you do not have to repeat the Amida, right? 
But obviously, it sounds like preferably one should recite the Amida where one can pronounce the words that one's ears can hear it. Ask the Gemara, whose opinion is this needed to be saying? Why? Because we know, right? Uh, the statement of Rav Yossi was taught as follows regarding the mitzvah of Kriyashma. If a person recited Kriyashma that, but you didn't pronounce it that your own ears, ears um, could hear, but yeah, you fulfill your obligation. Rav Yossi says, even but yeah, you haven't fulfilled your obligation. To that Rav Yossi, we say regarding the Amida that according to Rav Yossi, but yeah, you have fulfilled your obligation. So just, just in parentheses, why is there a difference between Shema and the Amida? Shema, the Pasuk says, Shema Yisrael, meaning hear, O Israel. So there is a commandment that we should hear it. That obviously doesn't apply to the Amida. However, from this Yerushalmi, it comes out that L'Chathchila, one should still recite the Amida in a way that one hears it. One hears one's own words. Again, not disturbing other people. We said that if it's, you, you know, you're saying it so loud that other people are starting to hear that's causing a disturbance, that's not on. But that you should be able to hear your own words, that seems to be, according to Yerushalmi, preferable. But yeah, that if you didn't do it, you, you don't have to repeat. But according to the Tosefta, it sounded like that you shouldn't. So which one do we do? Uh, I'm going to skip the Pnei Moshe, but the Pnei Moshe just explained the Yerushalmi how I explained. So let's see how the Rambam passed it. The Rambam in Hilchot Tfila, Perikei Alachatet. Hashvayat Hakol Keitzad. How do we moderate our voice? Explains the Rambam. On the one hand, Lo Yagbiya Kolo Betfilato. You cannot project one's voice when praying. Lo Yitpalel Belibo. But on the other hand, one should not pray silently. So what, what, what should you do? One should pronounce the words with one's, move one's lips, move one's lips, right? And uh, on the other hand, and one should hear it with one's own ears. So the Rambam is passing like the Yerushalmi. That it is preferable that the way to recite the Amida is basically not scream it, but not say it completely silently. One should actually verbalize it to the point where one can hear oneself. How does the Shulchan Aruch pass it? Lo yitpalel belibo levat, says the Shulchan Aruch. Do not recite the um, Amida silently. He quotes the Rambam. And then he says, obviously, you can't have you, you can't project your voice that people can hear it. And if you if, if you cannot concentrate and you need to project your voice, that's permitted. But what? That's if you are davening privately about the tzibur, also the atilamitra tzibura. But if, you're in, but, but if you're in the community, you can't do it because you're going to disturb people. Now, uh, says the Ramah, 
בביתו כשמתפלל, כדי שילמדו ממנו בני ביתו, מותר. If a mother's davening and she wants her kids to hear her davening so that they'll learn about tefillah, then that's also okay. So to summarize, we shouldn't be projecting our voice. We shouldn't be saying it completely silently. It's somewhere where we should be able to whisper to the point where we can hear our own tefillah. Look at the Mishnah Bura. The Mishnah Bura says, Person's got to be very careful that when you when you daven, even if your friend is standing right next to you, he shouldn't be able to hear your voice. Right, but if that's too hard, then do it that you can get to the right kavana, but you just need to make sure that you're not disturbing people. Okay, um, so basically, according to this, this, the simple reading is that people should be davening and reciting it, uh, at least that they can hear it. Not that other people can hear it, but they can hear it. And this is how Rabbi Vadi Yosef seems to pass. Although there are those who argue with the Shulchan Aruch, right? The bottom line is, the Ikar is, Going to Rabbi Vad Yosef, like the Shulchan Aruch and the Rambam, that one should recite the Amida when davening the Shumanai Israel to the point where one can hear it. Where is there a reason why people don't do this? And this is based on a Zohar, a very frightening Zohar. The Zohar in Parsha Vayakal says as follows The Ihahit Saluta Ishtama Laodnin Debarnash. If this prayer was heard by human ears, there's no one who is going to listen to it above. And only the first person that hears it will hear it. Meaning, if you've recited to the point where you can actually hear your own tefillah, says the Zohar, that's it. It's not going anywhere. Shamayim, they're not, they're not accepting the tefillah. Begin kach, and because of this, person has to be very careful that people do not hear him. And furthermore, he says the prayers somehow, and this is Kabbalistic, so I don't really understand, but basically they gather up in the heavens, and in the heavens, they don't need to be heard, whatever that means. So the bottom line is as follows. According to the Zohar, the simple reading of the Zohar um, is that one should say the Amida completely silently, not even that we can hear our own words. Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, and this is a very interesting general approach between Rav Ovad Yosef and Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, both Svardi Poskim, um, when dealing with a contradiction between the Shulchan Aruch and the Zohar, between the Kabbalistic tradition and the tradition based in Halakha, which is following the Rambam, etc. Rav Ovadia Yosef in general, again, in general, I'm not saying there aren't, uh, that he doesn't uh, um, uh, sway in certain cases, as we saw regarding the Tilat Yadayim, other things, but in general, sometimes he sways and he paskins like the Zohar, but in general, he paskins, sorry, but he, the Rabovadia 
is usually consistent that he follows the Shulchan Aruch. Rav Mordechai Eliyahu is exactly the opposite. He will often take the Kabbalistic approach over that of the Shulchan Aruch. And let's see that here. According to the Shulchan Aruch, Maran, right, the master, referring to the Shulchan Aruch, one has to recite it that one can hear the actual tefillah, one's own tefillah. But according to the Zohar, one should not recite it that one can actually hear it. The only thing that one should be doing is moving one's lips, but not saying it to the point that one can hear it. Says that is the minhag that we have, meaning we do not follow the Shulchan Aruch. He says, Okay, if you're going to have a problem with Kavona, then he says you can do so. Obviously, not project your voice, that's going to disturb people. Fine. Now, so we, we, we pretty much have seen that there is an approach of the Zohar that says that we should say things completely silently. The approach of the halachic um, authorities that generally one should one should try and say it. And go see what the community, what people do. Do they follow the Zohar or do they follow uh, the Shulchan Aruch? So we saw that it's Machloket Rav Ovadia Yosef and the uh, and Rav Eliyahu regarding Sfardim. I have a feeling that Ashkenazim also. Uh, say it silently, but I'm not sure if that's based on the Zohar or just um, or just that's that's what people do. I know that Rav Soloveitchik was quite makpid to recite it quite loud. Um, he would he would verbalize every word. Uh, that was the that was the general approach of uh, Rav Rav Yosef Dov Soloveitchik. Now the Beit Yosef brings an interesting mina, and that is. Although we said that one should never project one's voice in a community setting, Rosh Hashanah might be different. Brings the Beit Yosef in Arachaim Siman Kufal. Rosh Hashanah v'yamaki purim nagim haolam lashmiya kolam betzvilatam. The minag was people would daven the Shmona Yisrael out loud. V'havet miyani tova yachnit pashet minagze. Says the Beit Yosef, I wasn't sure where this minag came from. Lichora goes directly against. An explicit Gemara. Veraiti bimecharpi b'sefer apliyash ayakoret tagar al minagazek. And he said in his youth he saw svarim that said that this is incorrect. Vachar kach matzati bepiske atosvot vezel shonot. But then he found later on the rulings of the tosvot that brachot rosh hashanah mitoch dein regilim beemashmim kolam. Since most people were not familiar with the brochas of Rosh Hashanah, i.e. the Machsor. So that's why they used to say it out loud. Vegam yesh ben brachot arukot. They had long, they had the brochas are very long. Umitam echad et, sorry, umate echad et chavero, and people got confused. Lefichach shaliach tzibur motziet hariyev rabim yedei chovatam. So at least we see that there seems to be a minag that people you should say it out loud because other people used to get confused so they would rely on someone else saying it on their behalf. 
הרי שלא נמתם, למה שנהגו להשמיע קולם שהוא מפני שאינם רגילים? So the first reason is because people don't know it, they are going to, um, they, they need help. So by you saying it out now, you're actually helping your friend. And then says the Beit um, Yosef, I want to give another reason. Because the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur are aseret to make tshuva. And so these are days of tshuva. So we raise our voice because this is the way of, of, uh, of, um, of doing tshuva. Right? We say, Utshuva, Utfila, Utstaka, Mavirin et Roa Gzeira. And uh, under the word Tfila in some Machzorim, it has the word Tsaaka, right? Screaming out. Meaning, how do you get around, how do you undo the Gzeira through crying out loud? And since it's so dear to them, these Tfilot, says the Beit Yosef, since it's so dear, everyone wants to concentrate on the Shmona Yisrael of, of Musaf of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, so it's not going to, people are not going to get disturbed. Even though people are screaming out loud. And then afterwards he found the Mordechai that brings that um, that there's not a problem over here because the people today have machzorim and tefillah. Okay, how do we pass on the Lachanamayzeh? Says the Shulchan Aruch in Arachayim Kufalev, Yeishomrim, Shebarosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Muter Lashmiya Kolam Betfilah Betzibur, which we generally say is not allowed to project one's voice, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is okay. Says the Ramah, Bechein Magin, Emer Yizah Minag, Mikol Makom, Yizaru, Okay, so you can project it, but don't, don't go crazy. Don't, uh, don't get everyone all confused, etc. Mission Brewer rule regarding this. He says, We're not worried, we're not concerned that it's going to disturb the community. Since everyone today has a machzor. But the Magen of Ram concludes Even so, that this was a minag, etc., it is preferable on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to daven silently. It seems to be that many, many of the Achronim chose this, uh, uh, but many of this, uh, many of the Achronim chose this. Uh, Harold, you asked a question regarding the Yamim Noraim. I'm not sure I understood the question. Because if you go to some shuls, I mean, it's not just Yom and Noraim that there's a tend to be screaming, shouting the tefillahs. It seems to be like any every day. So I'm just curious, according to what we're learning today, it's just Yom and Noraim, you've got a header to daven loudly. But we'd have no, but remember, we have to make so. a distinction. We have to make a distinction. We're talking specifically now about the Amida. Right. The silent Amida. The rest okay. of the Twitter, you can daven out loud. Meaning, okay. right? So, I, I, I mean, I think even most shuls today, most people don't scream out loud in the middle of the silent no. Shmona Israel. No, no, not the Shmona Israel. No, right. saying, okay. So here we're talking about only the Shmona Israel. 
a fact. Uh, although, I don't know, although I was, you know, uh, once someone told me that I'm, I'm, I was saying Sukkot Bezimah too loud, so um, obviously I was disturbing him, so I tried to now say it softer. Um, but um, but in principle, the, 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 the concept of disturbing uh, in general is is Lichora, we, we're referring to the silent Amila. That's where, that's where it is. I suppose if, if, if a person, if you do, you know, if you are being disturbed from someone or you're disturbing someone else, one should be sensitive to that as well. Okay. Now, the Yalkut Yosef brings a There were certain communities where basically the chazan on the Yamim Noraim would say out loud the silent prayer. Okay, so he says, we saw that this was a minag, an ancient minag, but everyone agrees that this is not ideal. And he says, if there is ability to get rid of this minag, as long as it's not going to cause machlok. Okay, I want to go on to the next topic, and that is interruptions during the Shemona Yisrael. So what does it mean interruptions during the Shemona Yisrael? We have to work out what we define as an interruption. And this, um, this has many, many practical ramifications when one has small children, when one wants to uh, uh, um, hint to someone to do something, or you're in the middle of davening and someone comes and asks you a question. What, are, what is one allowed to do? When is one allowed to answer? When is one allowed to move? So let's, let's try and put things, make a bit of say over here. Says the Mishnah in Brachot, Perikei Halach Mishnah Aleph. Even if the king of Israel asks how you're doing and you're in the middle of Shmona Israel, you don't answer. And even a snake, and here specifically we're talking about a non-poisonous uh, um, snake that's wrapping itself around one's uh, ankle, don't stop. The assumption of the Mishnah is that a snake wasn't dangerous. Uh, we'll see later that, that the, the poskim say that today, if you see a snake, probably you should move very quickly. Says the Talmud Yerushalmi, He's davening in the communal area, town, town square. You're allowed to move when you see a, 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 a carriage coming towards you, or you know, in the middle of the street, and you see a car coming towards you, you're allowed to move. But do not stop davening. So we see from here that the Yerushalmi makes a distinction between moving and stopping one's tefillah. How does the Shulchan Aruch put this all together? It says the Shulchan Aruch in Orachayim Kuf Dalet. You're davening, you're on the road, and a, a, a carriage or an animal comes your way. You're allowed to move from the, the, the road, but don't stop davening. But for other reasons, one should not move at all until one finishes one's tefillah. Unless one is already in the supplications. The supplications is basically at the end of the bracha, 
and you say the Yiratzon, and then you're in the paragraph of Elokai Nazar. That, uh, uh, that last paragraph is not really part of the, uh, not really part of the Amida per se, it's private supplications, and then one can do. And then says the Mishabur, the Shulchan so if a snake is wrapped around your, your ankle, you're not allowed to stop. Meaning, the Shulchan Aruch says, you don't get on the phone and call 911. That is considered a hefse. What can you do? You can walk so to get rid of the snake. Aval akrav, so when are we talking about a scorpion? Posek lefishu muad yotel azik. Since a scorpion apparently is more dangerous and is more uh, uh, common to, to, to sting, v'nachash nami imra'ashu ka'usu muhan azik. And even a snake, if one sees that, to clarify, what is he referring to when he says regarding um, stopping? He says that we already, he already says that one can move, one just can't stop. So we seem to see that there are two types of interruptions. The one is physically moving. And we'll see even later on when we talk about physically moving, there's a distinction between moving one's legs and moving one's hands. The second uh, category is actually speaking. When is one allowed to stop one's tefillah and actually speak? That is when there's a danger. So when there's a danger, you want to call 911, you want to tell everyone that there's a dangerous scorpion or a dangerous snake, a snake, you're allowed to do that. But when there's no danger, but it's a uh, disturbance that you need to, you're allowed to move in order to get out of the way. And that's how the Mishnah Baruch, uh, the Mishnah Baruch really uh, put this all together. Yeah. When the, when the uh, Shulchan Aruch uses the language, hefsek, an interruption, that is referring to speech. But walking away from whatever it is, is permitted. And this is important in that walking is not considered to be a hefsek. However, so you might think, okay, so in the middle of the Shemona Israel, a person can start doing tiolim in the shul. No, that it has to be a serious reason. To remove the snake. After Talin and Demina Sam Lo Yesakana, even though there's no danger, but it's still it's it's not so uh, um, comfortable to have a snake wrapped around one's ankle, you can move away. Aval Shelolat Sarech, but if it's not for a great need, Mikra Alikam can sathepse. Now he says, in such a case, walking is considered a partial hepse. So that's an important thing that we have to realize that speaking is a hefsek, moving, walking around is less of a hefsek, but according to the Shokanach, according to Mishaburah, he calls he calls it a hefsek. Okay. Now the furthermore, 
um, the Mishnah says, "Ain not saved." Right? That's referring to if there's no reason, don't don't leave. The actually garb now. Now this comes to a very practical halachah ma'ase. What happens on Yom Kippur? That we know that there's many times that the the the, the, the shaliach tzibur the chazan bows down in the middle of the shmona ishe. So he says, "Yeshli gor b'chazanim shev." So what do we do? There were a lot of chazanim that used to walk away from the bima and bow down in the middle of the repetition of the Shema Aisha. He says that is unacceptable. We've lost you. Got mumbled. The suggestion of what the Mishabura, uh, of what the Chazanim should do. Uh, now let's move on to uh, the more uh, modern Sefer. Isha Yisrael gives quite an, a few practical examples of when one is allowed to move in case of a disturbance. Explains Isha Yisrael. If there is a life-threatening uh, concern, a scorpion approaches you, or a dog with rabies, or or unfortunately, more, more uh, you know, closer to home, you hear shooting uh, or a siren. You need to run to uh, the local uh, bomb shelter. So here it's very interesting. He says, He should shorten his tefillah. I'm, I'm not sure why he says this. He's obviously dealing with a case where he, it's not, I, I, don't, I don't know why he says this, that, you know, you shouldn't run to the bomb shelter, you should finish your shmonais, right? Uh, or you should con- move over and dab it. I was once in, I think it was the Gulf War. I was, uh, no, I couldn't have been the Gulf War. I wasn't in Yeshiva yet. Maybe it was the second Gulf War. I can't remember when it was. Um, well, I was in Yeshiva and there was the middle of the, uh, uh, for whatever, I can't remember what war it was. Um, somewhere between 95 and 2005, whatever took place uh, in those years. And Moriba Rabir of Amital Zatzal was davening the Shmona and we heard the siren. So uh, everyone was looking to what the Rosh Hashiva was going to do because uh, <laughs> do we stop in the middle of the Amida or not? And uh, Rav Amital continued his, uh, his uh, Shmona Israel. So many of the Talmudim continued their Shmona Yisrael and they, uh, and they carried it on. Afterwards, he gave a, a Shil Klali and he apologized. He apologized to all the Talmudim. He said that, uh, that definitely one should have left straight away to go to the bomb shelter. And uh, he apologized for what he did. He says He's an old man, he's a Holocaust survivor, he had just seen so much in life that he wasn't so uh, perturbed. So, you know, for him, 
this wasn't uh, yet, you know, been in wars, etc. So for him, it wasn't. But he said that was not the right way to do things. One should have gone straight into the bomb shelter. But as we've seen, if we take what we've seen before, moving to a bomb shelter in and of itself, walking is less of a problem. What one should do is one should continue one when one reaches the bomb shelter, meaning there's no problem moving. It's a greater problem speaking. So if one can move to the bomb shelter without speaking and continue one's tefillah there, that's the ideal. Now, if you need to direct people where the bomb shelter is, etc., obviously you can speak. So that's, uh, you know, if it's for the sake of, of, of helping people, there's a dangerous situation, then one is allowed to speak. But other than that, one should not. Then he said, when there's no concern of pikuach nefesh, but because of certain fears, he cannot concentrate in that area. Right? Let's say you're davening and there was a, you're davening on a balcony and there was like a, a, a screen and then they roll up the screen and you realize like you're on the cliff and you, it's very scary. So you're allowed to move back because uh, it's not a problem of, of pikoch nefesh, but you just feel uncomfortable. You're allowed to move back. But once again, it's a problem of uh, uh, making a hefsek by speech. Okay. Um, and he says also, even if you're going to lose money, this is not uh, not acceptable. Okay. I want to I want to jump now to the last uh, topic, which which is very very a common a common problem, and that is sitting and passing in front of someone reciting Shmona Yisrael. Let's learn this halacha because it's not a well-known halacha and, uh, and there are nuances about this halacha and how, we, how, how do we deal with it. So let's see if we can make a bit of data regarding this halacha. Says the Gemara in Masechet Brachot Lamed Imcha Bazeh. But again, going back to Chana, and uh, Chana comes to the Beit Hamikdash. Uh, so, well, not the Beit Hamikdash, but she she comes to the Mishkan uh, with with Shmuel, and he, she says, "I'm the woman who was sitting with you," meaning she's talking now to Eli, right? Uh, sorry, not not no, not uh, sitting. Who stood by you? Amara lady. From here we learn that one shall not one is not allowed to sit within four cubits of someone who is praying. Let's read Rashi. Where did Rashi understand that from the Pasuk? She said, I, I stood with you, meaning we were both standing, implying that it's asset to sit. Toswat learns it out from the and he says, Mashma betoch imcha is betoch arba mot. Mishum dichtiv imcha with an extra hay. Right? It didn't have to say the extra hay. And because of that, that's the, the, the limud of ya. And then says Tosfot, Upirshu truvota goanim. This is a responsum of the goanim. Davka beyoshev ubatel. When, it is, when is it prohibited for someone to sit while someone else is davening? When he's doing twiddling his thumbs reading his uh, whatsapps 
אבל אם היה עוסק בקריאת שמע ובאוויר חותח, אבל אם סמן היה רסעת עם קריאת שמע וברכות, וכיוצא בהם, And the similar to that, we'll have to work out what similar to that is. You can continue sitting, it's not a problem. Let's see what the Torah says regarding this din. The Torah says, It sounds like from the words of the Goenim, that if, it's, if they were learning Torah, It would be prohibited. They only mentioned Kriyatma and Brachot. It says the Torah, this is more logical. Why? Even though Torah is more stringent than Tfilah. Someone who, who learns all day, we don't, we don't pass it like this, but in theory, someone who learns all day doesn't even stop to daven. But regarding this, Halachatvila is preferable. What's the reason that there's a problem me sitting while my friend is standing in Davin? Because when my friend is standing in Davin, he's accepting the yoke of heaven upon him. And I'm just sitting there and I'm not. However, if I'm saying reciting Kriyat Shema, that's also accepting upon myself the yoke of heaven. So there's no problem. Interesting. Says the Torah, when a person's learning Torah, he's not, it's not the same as accepting the yoke of heaven upon him. And therefore, there's going to be a problem. Even though I'm sitting and learning my Daf Yomi, someone standing next to me davening, it's a problem. I shouldn't sit. And he says, and Lichora, the Gemara wasn't talking about a person who was just some, someone who was wasting time and not learning Torah. Obviously, it was talking about someone who's learning Torah, and nevertheless, they still said it's a problem. So according to the tour, the only exemption is that If someone's davening uh, the Amida and I'm within four cubits of that person, I should be standing unless I'm saying Kriyachma. Even if I'm learning Torah, um, I should be standing. Says the Beit Yosef, I don't accept the opinion of the tour. When did the guy say that you're not allowed to sit when you're just twiddling your thumbs? But The person who is sitting and learning Torah, it's as if he's accepting the yoke of heaven on himself. Says the Beit Yosef, an interesting discussion of here. The Torah says learning Torah isn't really accepting the yoke of heaven. Says the Beit Yosef, what are you talking about? When we learn Torah, we are accepting the yoke of heaven, the cave and the Misha Torah, the Torah, and he says, person, we see that it's person's learning Torah is even preferable than a person who is davening, and therefore it's not a problem. But I saw the smug hurrah. Oh, so we now 
the Beit Yosef brings a proof. This is Rabbeinu Yehuda, who uh, was the, one of the teachers of the Smag. Vegam Smakatav. Also, the smack says, yeah, as long as you're learning Torah, it's okay. They were just bringing a practical example, because that's more common. This one's reached the Amida, while that one's still saying Kriyat Shema. But it's true, one cannot sit within four of a person davening. By the way, it's quite a lot. Sorry, Rabbi, the volume's gone. In in front, to the sides, or back. The volume. Joy is a zoo. Not nice. <laughs> the reality is we should be impressed it ever works, not that it doesn't work. Can you hear me now? Yes, thank you. Okay, so let's try and uh, get back to where we were. So, so we, we're trying to work out what, how are we going to pass it? Does the Shulchan Aruch accept his uh, own opinion that one can sit and learn Torah, or is it only if one is reciting Kriyat Shema and someone is next to you that, that you don't have to stand, but anything else one would have to stand? Says the Shulchan Aruch, Asur Lefeh Betoch Arba Motro Mitpalel, Ben Milfana, Ben Minat Stadin, Ben Melachorab, Tarikh Lachik Arba Mot. You have to separate yourself. Four cubits from a person who's davening the kriyat shema. If you want to, uh, the tefillah. If you want to, if you want to sit. Vimosek b'dvarim shem mitikunei tefillot. But if one is davening part of the tefillah, so chidush number one says the shulchan aruch. Not only kriyat shema and birkot kriyat shema. If you're davening any part of tefillah. You don't have to stand. The Yesh Matir Balsek Torah, and though there are those who permit even just learning Torah, even though it's not part of Tvilah. The Yesh Mishomer Dani Mili Minatzad. Some say there's only on the side. Although Kenegdo, but in front of him, Afilo Kemale Enav Asur Afilo Osek Bekriachma. That in front of a person, it's always going to be prohibited, even if one is saying Kriachma. That is the second opinion, Lichora, not the accepted opinion, La um, 
because whenever we have a stem the yesh omrim, we generally paskin like the stem. Now, how do we? How does the Mishnah Bura over here paskin? Says the Mishnah Bura, Katav Achaya Adam. If the person davening and separating between me that's sitting and the person davening, some type of um, I'll, um what they have in uh, shuls, what they call the, um, you know, where the, the chairs, where people sit on. Um, um, if there is such a thing, right, um, in such a case, so perhaps this is where the minute came for many shuls to introduce those uh, those kind of podiums of wood between between chairs, so maybe that we could get around the problem. The Hamafsikrashut, because it's a separation of if you if you can see the other side and you're still going to be disturbing, maybe it's still not going to be good enough. So there is room maybe to be makel, but the general principle is that if a person is still saying the Shmonaisha, one shouldn't be sitting unless one opens up the safer. If you open up the safer, then you get around the problem. Because as we saw, going to the Shokhanaruch, you're allowed to sit if you are learning or doing something of that nature. Says the Shokhanaruch, So the person was sitting originally. The Ahmad and then someone comes up and starts dumping the Shmona next to me. Ain't sarich lakum. In such a case, I don't need to stand up. Because this guy came into my my uh, domain. Nevertheless, he says, It is midat chasidut to stand even in such a case. But look what the Mishabura says. Mishabura says, this is true if it's in your own house. You're sitting at your table and you're reading the newspaper and then your child comes and starts davening. In that case, you don't have to get up. But in a place where it's a, you know, it's a shul, or you, know, you have these places where people daven, uh, let's say in offices, you know, there's a minyan kavua at two o'clock. Or definitely in a shul, Sarich lakum do makom yuchad lachom ne adam. In that case, you have to get up. Afilu ima makomot kvoim lachol echad shekanaum b'damim yeh lachim. However, again, Torah lo yachmir b'kol shekain rab sheyoshevim talmidim velomdim. Especially if you are writing and learning, v'al samit palim entzrich lamod. And then people come and they start a minion, you don't have to get up. If it's going to disturb the shear, you don't have to worry about it. Okay, let's, uh, let's skip to um, another problem. Up until now, we've been talking about the problem of sitting, right? So we said that generally you're not allowed to sit, but if you're sitting and you're learning Torah or davening, 
you're good to go. And perhaps if you are uh, another two uh, leniencies, but they're not absolute leniencies, one is if there's some type of separation between you two, um, but that's not absolute, especially because you could see each other. And, uh, and the other possibility is if you were sitting first, <clears throat> then someone came in Davin. But as we saw, Mishabura says, that's limited to your house, not to a public place of prayer. Okay. Um, I'm just thinking. The truth is, I don't think we're going to be able to, this last part is quite complicated. And that is, where is one, people walking past other people davening? Uh, is that permitted? When is it permitted? When is it not permitted? Um, so that Bezrat Hashem will continue with next week. Um, just to let everyone know that Bezrat Hashem next week will be going to print with a special edition of Hilchot Shmita. It's not part of the cycle. Um, so, so, but there will be a Hilchot Shmita in the Tzurba format, all sources translated, etc. Um, so that, please, God, will be available. We should be going to print next week. So the week after, uh, those in Israel will be able to pick it up from the Mizrahi offices. Uh, those around the world will be able, Bezrat Hashem, to order it on Amazon. Okay. For those of us who can't get to Mizrahi offices? Uh, you can order online and we'll send it to you via post. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you for your time, Dr. Rob. Bye. Bye. Bye.